Tuesday, May 14th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool One, Jason Moser, and from Motley Fool Hidden Gems, Chief Investment Officer Andy Cross. Good to see you guys. Jen, hello. Um, we got a lot going on today. We've got, uh, we got ESPN in the news. We've got Twitter. We've got Facebook. We've got Tesla, which apparently is a stock that only goes up now. <laughs> uh, we'll get to all of that, but we will start with uh, the big story of the morning. Shares of Sony are hitting a new 52-week high on the news that hedge fund manager Dan Loeb, who, by the way, has a 6.5% stake in Sony, hand-delivered a letter to Sony CEO Kazuo Hirai, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in which Loeb urged Sony to be broken up and essentially spin off the entertainment division, which is the film studio, the music label, First and foremost, Andy, do you think that's a good idea for Sony? Well, first and foremost, you did pronounce it correctly. Okay. I actually looked wow. it up Woo. just to be sure okay. uh, or, or played the video of it. So congratulations, Chris. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, it's, so it's not exactly a spinoff. It's just that he wants them to float about 15 to 20% okay. of, of that property. So Sony still owns most of it, and Dan Loeb and Third Point would actually support that. Um, I, you know, this is what hedge fund managers do, and this is why they actually add value um, in, in other ways, too. I mean, they, they, they take away value, too, and many hedge fund managers have had a very tough go um, for the past few years, many trailing the markets badly um, as they stay hedged against uh, uh, downsides on the stocks, which just don't come. They do mix things up and they go into boardrooms and they say, hey, listen, you have some assets that the market is not recognizing and how can we get more value out of this? Third Point owns more than a billion dollars worth of Sony stock all added in when you talk about all their ventures. So, you know, he's not talking chump change here. He has real investments here. He thinks they can get another $600 billion in asset, um, in market valuation. Um, accrued from uh, this this move with Sony 600 Entertainment. Billion? Yeah, six hundred billion. If you if you look at the um, operating cash profits from the from the entertainment business, okay. and and give a certain multiple on that of of nine times, which is what about entertainment companies go for? Actually, maybe even higher than that nowadays. Um, he thinks they can they can juice the market valuation um, significantly. So you know this is what he does. Um, uh, Mr. Hurai has said. As we see from many boards, eh, not really interested. Thank you. We're going to keep it. Um, that's kind of the first denial response, I think. This yeah. is the first step in, in I think, Dan's, uh, in Loeb's approach. And we'll see where it goes from here. But I think this is a good move. If you're a Sony shareholder, this is a good move. Well, and particularly you look at the recent past, you look at Dan Loeb, Jason, going to Yahoo, getting some sway at yahoo and yep. and bringing in really more so than any one single person Loeb was the guy who brought in marissa mayer uh, does sony now become a more attractive stock simply by virtue of the recent past of of Loeb's track record it certainly brings the question up and i mean this is one of the pit the potential pitfalls at least of being a public company is that you're going to have uh, fund managers out there who feel like they know your book better than you do or, or can help you create more value. And, and in Sony's case, I think, you know, there's a point to be made there. I mean, if you look at the company today, the top line revenues are down almost 20% over the last five years. Uh, the stock has gotten hammered by the market. Uh, and to top it all off, you know, I bet you if I asked you what Sony's most profitable segment is, I, 
I don't know how many people would actually get this right, but it's their financial services segment. Yeah, as I which, said this morning, I didn't even know they had yeah, a financial services I mean, their services. financial services segment, which brings in – it brought in 63% of operating profit last year. And essentially, their financial services segment is – it's banking and insurance operations uh, that, that focus on high-touch customer service. It just seems to be completely out of really everything else that's, that, that we know Sony does. And so I, I think that uh, you know, Loeb at least has a point here in, in trying to – Break up Sony because maybe the pieces are a little bit more. Uh, they're a little, they're worth a little bit more than than perhaps the whole. And, and uh, you know, we'll see where it takes them. Uh, Andy, can I ask you to play mind reader here? Do you think that the story continues from here? You mentioned uh, the CEO politely rebuffing the advances of Loeb. Do you think that's where it ends, or do you think that there's some negotiating that that possibly goes on from here? Loeb indicated he'd be open to a board seat. Uh, how much longer should we continue to watch this? Uh, we'll see this go on for a while, Chris, I think. I mean, Japanese companies are not the most um, welcoming to outside shareholders. I mean, um, historically, if you just look at the Kairetsus they have built over the years. Now, Sony this is, Sony is not an individual Kairetsu per se, but they have, as Jason said, lots of different businesses from electronics, semiconductors, television, entertainment properties. And Loeb is saying, listen, I'm in this business. I own a substantial amount of stock here. You're a public entity and uh, I'm knocking with a very big $1.1 billion uh, battering ram, so you better <laughs> listen to me. ESPN and Twitter are expanding their partnership to begin posting short video clips on Twitter after they've already aired on ESPN. Um, the the story that we started talking about last week, Jason, continues this whole notion of Disney and in particular their TV properties, ways to increase monetization. We talked yesterday about ABC, ESPN, which we know is a cash cow for Disney. Yeah. Uh, this seems like one more way that they can uh, get some milk, just, yeah. to, just to finish up on that analogy. <laughs> this has been a really neat couple of weeks to follow Disney in, in, in social networking. And I think uh, with Twitter, there have been a lot of questions. Number one, are they going to go public? When will they go public? I mean, that, there's some hints that maybe they'll go public around 2014 or something. But more so, how would they monetize their model? Uh, and, and what we're seeing here is one way that potentially they could do that. Um, it certainly goes hand in hand also with the talk of ESPN potentially subsidizing data pulled in uh, from the carriers to encourage uh, folks to you know to feel free to use ESPN apps on their mobile phones or, or mobile devices. Uh, you know, I mean, there there is a lot of money at stake here, and I think that the second screen phenomenon is one that that is really growing in popularity. I saw a statistic Nielsen threw out there that that in the U.S. about forty percent of smartphone users will access a social network while watching TV. Absolutely. I, I actually, I would argue that it's probably, probably higher, higher than that, to be honest with you. But I think that they're realizing that, that that's a tremendous frontier there. And so another example could be seen in AMC's app. You know, they do a great job of incorporating sort of extra content while you might watch something like Breaking Bad. So you're on your device while you're watching the show. And so ESPN is looking to Twitter to try to, you know, maybe encourage some of this kind of behavior. They had that experiment with Ford uh, last year with college football that worked out pretty well. Yep. And, and so I think this is a, I think it's a great move. I'm, I'm a fan of Twitter. I think it, it's a great mobile experience. And I think they ought to do well with this. Well, and Andy, we saw Fox recently, uh, sign a partnership with Twitter. Twitter is reportedly talking with executives from Comcast and CBS and other TV networks. To Jason's point, it makes sense to me, especially in the case of ESPN, because I think live sports lends itself even more so to that kind of social interaction than the average 
uh, scripted television show. Oh, it absolutely does. It, it, I guess the only uh, challenge to that, Chris, would be, except for, and we talked about this a little bit, except for those big, like, Breaking Bad final episode, or right. I was thinking Lost, the final episode. I mean, you, mm-hmm. we already saw that with people accessing, you know, Facebook and um, other uh, social networking sites. Twitter is just a monster out there because it's easy to use. As Jason had said earlier, it's built for mobile really more than yeah. almost anything is. Um, and it's, uh, it's accessible and it's, 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 you build this network and it's just informational driven and that's what people want. So I think this is a land grab. We're going to see a lot more of this, whether Twitter looks to go and file an IPO or not, but they're going to, and if you're a media company or you're an IP company, you're looking at Twitter. And it's not just sports. I mean, if it wasn't too terribly long ago, we had a presidential election. But I mean, yeah. do you remember Twitter the night yep. of the election? I mean, that was that was crazy during the so, presidential I mean, I think, debates too. Right, and so I mean, I think between sports and news, I mean, you know, we have all this sort of uh, you know, un- unknown uh, where where just video content is concerned. But when you look at sports and you look at news, and those are the things that really still uh, you know grab a lot of eyeballs yeah. on a live basis. I mean, Twitter is, I, I think, really going out there and, and taking advantage of, of building some mindshare in, yeah. in these areas. Yeah, and just last year, wasn't one of the um, one of the uprisings in the Middle East called the Twitter Revolution? I mean, yeah. like, so we just it's in it's in the vernacular, and it, it's uh, certainly here to stay. As I indicated at the top, shares of Tesla Motors up once again this morning. Uh, Morgan Stanley is raising the price target that it had on the stock from forty seven dollars a share. To $103 a share. It's now trading in the low 90s. Andy, this stock has doubled in the past <laughs> month. Yeah. Are we now officially in crazy land? Because it, it, yeah. it seems like this is now an overvalued stock. Well, let's not disguise or, or, or confuse um, Twitter's uh, activity uh, with the, the rest of the market, right? right. So um, <laughs> what's been happening with Twitter has been a combination of two things, Chris. One Te- is- Wait, Tesla. I'm sorry, Twitter. Yeah, Tesla. Thank you. Tesla is a combination of two things. Is one is that it's um, it is uh, good quarterly earnings. Yep. So they had they had very good numbers. They had that, a profitable quarter more quickly than anyone expected. Exactly. And so so the, the the company has been doing well, and that was responsible for a certain percentage of the jump of uh, the stock. Now I think that day it finished up maybe thirty percent or something like that. Yeah. So uh, probably not that much. The rest of this is a short squeeze. And what happens in a short squeeze is that folks who have borrowed shares and sold those stock, that stock have to go out and find those shares to basically pay back their lenders, especially if they get a margin call. Um, and when you have so few people or you have so many people chasing so few shares that are available, you see the stock just skyrocket. And we've seen this uh, for the past week or so with, with Tesla. It is a little bit crazy. This is a great company. Elon Musk has done some really cool things. He's the founder of this business. Um, and uh, and there's, there's certainly some business momentum behind um, the company. There's certainly a lot of momentum behind the stock right now. And I wouldn't want to get in front of it. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm pulling for it as much as, as any of us. And um, while I would never, ever bet against Elon Musk or Tesla, I also recognize that today today's price is, is very overvalued. You're not jumping on the stock. <laughs> no, when it's just, in I, the I 90s. just can't. I can't jump on the bandwagon there. And I mean, you just you see this. I mean, a lot of times, I mean, the market's the place to be. That's where everybody's going to get the returns. And so the, the market in general, the, the tide is rising. Tesla's certainly benefiting benefiting from a lot of great news. And really, it's neat to think about the future and what this company's going to be able to, to do to help shape our future. But by the same token, price does matter in a lot of cases. Yep. And this is one where I would argue it is 
crucial that you that you pay attention to to what this company's got coming down the road here and understand that one profitable quarter and a lot of hype can certainly along with a short squeeze can certainly you know inflate that stock price very quickly if you're interested in Tesla I I would urge you just to be patient and let this play out All right let me use Tesla uh as an example, to ask you guys an investing strategy question, because I'm curious how you uh, fall down on this in terms of your individual strategies. One of our colleagues here at The Fool owns shares of Tesla. He's obviously having a phenomenal week, <laughs> a phenomenal last month. And yet, he is waiting till the end of May, because by the end of May, he will have owned the shares for one year. And uh-huh. that obviously has tax implications. Sure. So I said to him, Hey, when are you going to take a little money off the table? You've you've done wonderfully with this stock in the last year. Take a little money off the table. He said, "I'm waiting till the end of May." What do you guys do as individuals in that situation? Because it could work out really well for him, or by the end of the month, given the way the stock is going, it would not shock me at all if it pulls back to the to the mid seventies or even lower. He'd still have made money, but not as much. How do you guys weigh the decision to? Take capital gains. Um, if your strategy, if your mindset is, I want to keep some of this stock, but I'm going to take a little bit off the table. How do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, it just depends on what account you have these shares in. So if it's in just a discretionary account where taxes apply, then that's one thing. If it's an IRA where you don't have to worry about the tax implications, that's another. And so, uh, if, assuming this is a this is a tax situation that you have to be concerned with. With a couple of weeks left to go in the month, I mean, I, I, I'd be, I find, I'm hard-pressed to find any news that would really send Tesla plummeting. Uh, so I think that, that it's probably you know reasonable to kind of hang in there and wait for the month to play out. But by the same token, it certainly depends on how much this makes up you know your total portfolio. If it's overweight, uh, everybody's got a little bit of a different tolerance for risk there. Yeah. You know, maybe taking a little bit off the table isn't such a bad idea. But you know, by the same token. I'm much more in line with long-term capital gain taxes than short-term, so yeah. I get wanting to wait. Well, with yeah. almost half this half the shares uh, uh, sold short, um, who your friend will not have any, um, you know, <laughs> lack of interested parties to come and get his stock. I, I one time, Chris, um, about. 12 years ago had taxes let taxes influence um, an investment decision, and it was a bad decision. And I and I said. I am going to try to not let taxes influence my, and this was in a taxable account, influence my investing decision as much as I possibly can. Um, and that was the time you rode pets.com all the way to the <laughs> bottom, right? Well, it was, it was a bad decision and, and because I was just waiting kind of for these gains. So I think it just depends. Like I, um, taxes are so complicated and they're so individual and I don't like to make broad sweeping decisions. I agree with Jason. I don't think anything is going to, um, like I said, get in the way of Tesla here in the short term. The long term is a different story. I mean, now the stock, it has doubled, uh, almost doubled, and it needs to, Elon Musk needs to continue to uh, earn that premium. Yeah. Uh, last month, AT&T introduced the HTC First smartphone, uh, also known as the Facebook phone, uh, which featured the Facebook Home interface. Last week, AT&T dropped the price of the phone from $99 to $0.99, cents, and today there are reports that it is abandoning the phone altogether. Um, early indications... On Facebook Home, not looking very positive, Jason. No, I'd say this qualifies as pretty much a flop in my book. I mean, when you, 
I mean, I remember when they rolled it out in the press conference and I saw Zuckerberg up there talking about it. And it was, they were very encouraged or enthusiastic about everything Facebook Home had to offer. I mean, to this point, there, it, it seems there's been about 1 million downloads of Facebook Home. Yep. Now that's downloads. That doesn't tell us if people are actually using it. I mean, you could download it and then just get rid of it if you don't like it. So 1 million out of, a, out of an active user base of 750 million, I'm sure is, is far short of what they were hoping for. Now with that said, it does sound like they're taking into consideration Feedback from users and try to make in trying to make the user experience better, uh, but you know, I mean, I, I like I, I'm just I'm not a big Facebook fan. I mean, I I like that you have the option to to keep up with people and, and pictures and whatnot, but but I, I certainly grow a little bit more fearful of this company as it acquires more nuts and bolts to to tack on to its operations there because they just become that much more invasive. And so to get a little boots on the ground uh, idea, you know, I, I ask people, Facebook users, I mean, would you, will you download Facebook Home when it becomes available for your iDevice or whatever? And, and the majority of people say no. And so that makes me think, well, if I'm not really that big of a Facebook user and I know I won't download it, then their target consumer doesn't really seem to be all that enthusiastic about it either. I think they should genuinely be concerned. Uh, Andy, the last couple of quarters, it seems like Facebook has, for the most part, delivered results uh, that have been encouraging to investors. Uh, and really, over the last year, it has very much been a, a story about mobile mm-hmm. and Facebook needing to prove it could make money in mobile. But when I saw this story this morning, uh, it made me think that there's going to be even more pressure on them, the next earnings call, to see not just what did they do overall, but what did they do in mobile. Does this, in fact, sort of ramp up the pressure on them, do you think? Well, I think they have enough pressure on them in the mobile space, Chris. We we did see last quarter, we saw their mobile um, revenues and mobile uh, as a ad mobile revenue um, continue to grow, which is what I wanted to see, as I said, on an investor beat um, the, before the earnings. Um there's so much competition out there in the phone space, and you need to, need to have a different, a, a really, truly differentiating factor. And I just don't think this phone cut it. So I don't see this per se as a big knock on Facebook's mobile strategy. I think they have some bigger fish to fry, right. um, so to speak, um, in that space, mostly on the ad category, and they have to continue to um, have wins uh, on their core platform. This is this is one example. Is it a canary in the coal mine? Um, I don't think quite as much. Um, more importantly, I just want to see uh, Facebook continue to innovate and try to figure out in their in their um, core platform how to make those um, continue to, to make money on mobile. Um, but this, to me, seems to be there's so much competition in the phone space, for, and you have to have a truly differentiating factor. I don't think this phone really brought it. Nope. <laughs> the fact Charlie that- Munger esque. <laughs> I have nothing to add. <laughs> is that the is that the phrase that pays at the uh, Berkshire Hathaway meeting? What do you think, Charlie? I have nothing else to add. So if you're playing a, a drinking game at Berkshire Hathaway and and you have to take a drink every time Charlie says that, you're sloshed within the first two sheets to the wind in yeah. an hour. Yeah, you're, you're done. done. You're going to the Seas Candy Store and loading up. <laughs> Dunsky. Andy Cross, Jason Moser, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.